Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Katie Orr. Following increased backlash regarding the ongoing conservatorship of Britney Spears, three bills aiming to overhaul the form of legal guardianship are now proposed in the California legislature. A judge placed Spears under the conservatorship of her father in 2008, a move strongly criticized by the Free Britney movement and by participants in the recent documentary Framing Britney Spears. Then at 940, what explains the persistent gap in pay for men and women and what can be done to change it? That's next on Forum, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Katie Orr. Following increased backlash regarding the conservatorship of pop star Britney Spears, three bills aimed to aiming to overhaul the form of legal guardianship are now proposed in the California legislature. A judge placed Spears under the conservatorship of her father in 2008 after she was deemed unable to care for herself or her finances. The move has been strongly criticized by the Free Britney movement and by participants in the recent New York Times documentary, Framing Britney Spears. Under the proposed laws, there would be more requirements for conservators and protections for conservatees. Joining us now to talk about conservatorship under California law and take your questions are Tess Barker, co-host of Britney's Gram, a podcast about Britney Spears's Instagram, and Melissa Brown, professor of law at the University of the Pacific's McGeorge School of Law. Tess, I'd like to start with you. Um, first of all, you've been on the Britney Spears ride for a minute now. <laughs> Tell us a yeah. little bit about your podcast. Yeah, well, we have sort of a, a surprising, I guess, unconventional story. We started out as a comedy podcast. Uh, my partner and I are comedians, and we just started what we thought was a pretty silly podcast over analyzing Britney's Instagram posts. We were aware that she'd been conserved, but we weren't really familiar with what that meant. Uh, but we were sort of looking at her Instagram through that lens. And the more we sort of gave her podcast this this deep reading, the more we sort of understood that there might be something really problematic going on with her conservatorship. We started talking about that on the podcast. And in 2019, we were contacted by a whistleblower who told us that he worked at a law office associated with Britney's conservatorship uh, and that, you know, a number of disturbing things were going on, including that she'd been placed in, a, in an institution against her will. We released that episode and kickstarted sort of the modern iteration of the Free Britney movement. And I do just want to note that the New York Times has not confirmed uh, that whistleblower. But in in 
In fact, we really haven't heard much from Britney Spears herself about her conservatorship. But in the framing Britney Spears documentary, it actually features a clip from another documentary, an MTV documentary called Britney for the Record, where we actually do hear from her. And let's take a listen to that clip. If I wasn't under the restraints that I'm under right now, you know, with all the lawyers and doctors and people analyzing me every day and all that kind of stuff. Like, if I wasn't there, I'd feel so liberated and feel like myself. When I tell them the way I feel, it's like they hear me, but they're really not listening. They're hearing what they want to hear. They're not really listening to what I'm telling them. It's like, it's bad. Tess, what do you think when you hear her saying that? I think it's heartbreaking. You know, that documentary was filmed 12 years ago. And so I think the fact that, you know, the one time that we see her in media speaking candidly about the conservatorship, she's expressing feeling really restricted and controlled and that nothing has changed about her legal situation since then is is very sad and, and, and infuriating. Right. I think that's what's so crazy about this situation is that she was placed under a conservatorship in 2008. It's 2021. And at least from the outside, we see that she's a productive, um, very successful person. Um, Mm -hmm. And you and your co-host are actually credited with reviving the hashtag Free Britney um, after you received that voicemail that you had mentioned. And it seems like you guys just hit on the perfect time because everyone is feeling like this is just so crazy. You know, why do you think that your your free Britney movement got so big? Well, I think that for Britney Spears fans, I think if you were paying attention to what was going on with Britney, you sort of knew that something was going on. And so I think with the voicemail and with other revelations that have that have come out over the last couple of years, it sort of seems like confirmation of things that you suspected were happening over the last decade. You know, it seemed odd that she was working. Like you said, she's working as much as she is. So is it possible that she can't provide clothing and, and food to herself? Yeah. And I think it's it's she's it's appealing too, right, because she's been around for a certain generation, my generation. Right. <laughs> she's been there for a long time. And it's just so bizarre to think that this person you grew up with is living under such a strict you know, set of circumstances. But it also seems like watching the documentary and people in the free Britney movement that she appeals to a wide range of people. Is that the sense that you get? Absolutely. I think the appeal of Britney Spears is that she is this kind of every woman. You know, I think Britney fans love about her that she loves Starbucks and that she loves Cheetos and, and stuff like that. So I think there's something sort of disturbing about the fact that like, because she seems so relatable, if this happened to Brittany, it feels like it could happen to you or someone that you know, which it could, the more that we've learned about the probate system. Right. And tell us a little bit about what you think Instagram has done for her, because it sort of seems like it's gotten her away from some of the constraints of her conservatorship situation. Yeah, well, I think um, Britney's Instagram, it's, it's the one place that isn't sort of curated by her publicists or by her management team that we know of. So I guess I, it seems like a place where she's had sort of a platform to express herself. Um, and I think that ultimately is why we, we were so fascinated in it to the point that we started a podcast. Uh, and also, she has stated to the judge that she's not going to be working so long as her father is in control of her money. So in sort of a bittersweet way, it's also a place for her to perform. And do dances and stuff like that. 
I know, because I'd love to go see her in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, it's like a bucket list <laughs> for me. Uh, so where do you think things stand? Where do things stand right now with her case? Well, unfortunately, it's been a bit of a frustrating six months or so. Her court-appointed attorney, Samuel Ingham, um, sort of, you know, released some documents last summer, towards the end of last summer, that had really strong verbiage in them. And, you know, that's where he indicated that Britney wasn't going to be working as long as her father was in charge of her money. And, and he sort of did give a nod to the Free Britney movement, saying, hey, this isn't a conspiracy theory. Britney appreciates this support. But that hasn't been followed up with any sort of a petition to remove her father or anything like that. So I'd like to think that, you know, a petition to remove Jamie is coming soon and that ultimately a petition to dissolve the conservatorship is coming soon. But we really haven't seen much action from her court-appointed counsel, who I should note, Brittany didn't choose and who's the only attorney that Brittany's had access to for the last 13 years. We're talking about conservatorship under California law with Tess Barker, co-host of Brittany's Gram, a podcast about Britney Spears's Instagram, and Melissa Brown, a professor of law at the University of Pacific's of the Pacific's McGeorge School of Law. And Melissa, I want to bring you into the conversation right now. So we've heard about Britney Spears's case. In your experience, how unusual is her situation, you know, given her age and her apparent capacity to function as a normal adult? Do we have Melissa there? I'm sorry. I was muted. Um, uh, <laughs> Classic I do 2021. Think, yeah, yeah. Good morning. I do think it's unusual for a person her age who hasn't been experiencing, at least recently, overt signs of serious mental health or behavioral health um, impairment. Um, So typically you see these long-term conservatorships with older people, or if uh, in the case of someone who has a developmental or intellectual disability, a limited conservatorship, uh, which uh, would be put in place once the person turns 18. And how hard is it if you are in a conservatorship to get out of a conservatorship? Well, um, as Tess alluded to, you, you know, have a right to file a petition to dissolve the conservatorship. uh, And uh, that generally would require the assistance of counsel. So one of the proposed bills would allow uh, even a person who's currently conserved to select their own counsel. Um, The other thing is every 24 months, um, the court investigator is uh, supposed to revisit the conservatorship uh, by interviewing the conservatee and others and report back to the court uh, as to whether, um, you know, the progress and and need for the ongoing conservatorship. So uh, that said, though, it, it is you then become the party who has the legal duty or burden to show that you no longer uh, are substantially unable to manage your own affairs or resist a fraud and undue influence. Right. And the documentary actually speaks to that. They speak with a, an attorney named Vivian Lee Thoreen. Uh, she is an attorney who, after filming her interview in fr- Framing Britney Spears, actually rejoined the conservative legal team uh, involved in the Britney Spears case. If there is a conservatorship proceeding and the proposed conservatee at some point consents, the conservatee can't wake up one morning and say, I don't need this, I don't want it, make it go away. 
a petition would have to be filed, a petition to terminate the conservatorship. And then there's got to be evidence or some demonstration that a conservatorship is not necessary at that point in time. It's the conservatee who has the burden of saying, I don't need a conservatorship anymore, and here's why. Have you ever known anyone who has terminated a conservatorship? Of the cases that I've been involved in, um, I have not seen a conservatee who has successfully terminated a conservatorship. Tess, I want to get your reaction. You know, there are a lot of people out there who will say, give me a break. This is Britney Spears. She still has, you know, millions of dollars. Her life still looks pretty good. Why should we care about whether or not her dad controls her money? Well, I think you should care because, number one, uh, this is an issue that we do think is systematic or it's systemic. I'm sorry. Uh, these court-appointed councils are, at least in L.A. County, appointed in sort of this very secretive way. It's at the judge's discretion, decides who the court-appointed counsel for the conservatives are. And in Brittany's case, she's paying for the attorneys for her father who are fighting to continue to keep her in this situation. So her money is essentially being weaponized against her. And this really is a civil rights issue. You know, when conservatorship is a very severe uh, solution. And so, you know, most of the attorneys that we've talked to and most of the civil rights advocates that we've talked to have said, this should really be a last ditch effort. You know, you're taking away someone's legal rights as an American and as a citizen, you lose the right to, to enter into contracts or things like that once you're under conservatorship. So, you know, we think it's a very big deal, not only for Brittany, but for, for disabled people and elderly people all over the place that, you know, that, that we really need to give some gravity to the fact that, that we're taking away an individual civil rights. Tess Barker, co-host of Britney's Gram, a podcast about Britney Spears' Instagram. Thanks so much for speaking with us. We're talking about conservatorship under California law with Melissa Brown, professor of law at the University of the Pacific's McGeorge School of Law. Call us if you have an experience with the conservatorship system. We want to hear your thoughts and questions. 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, or we're at KQED Forum on Twitter. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum on KQED. We're talking about conservatorship under California law with Melissa Brown, professor of law at the University of the Pacific's McGeorge School of Law. And joining us now is Anne Hedreas, attorney with disability rights. Um, Melissa, put it into perspective for us. How many people in the state would you estimate are actually under this conservatorship status? Um, unfortunately, I can't answer that question. So uh, I, I maybe uh, Anne has more information about that. Uh, but it it is. I would just say that in order to be placed under a conservatorship, the judge needs to make a, an explicit finding that there are no less restrictive alternatives. So it is a pretty high standard uh, in order to be placed under a conservatorship from the beginning. 
are they generally tailored to people's um, specific situations or do they tend to be more generic? Uh, Well, what I have seen is uh, in many, many cases, they tend to be generic, which I think is one of the the flaws in the system, because just because a conservator may be granted a host of powers, such as, you know, controlling bank accounts and, and where you live and your ability to contract and all your money and so forth, it doesn't mean that the, the powers, uh, shouldn't be tailored to the specific need. And I think that also is in line with the legal requirement of least restrictive alternative. You briefly went over uh, some of the assembly bills that are being proposed in the legislature. Um, Talks about the lack of training and oversight conservators who are not licensed professionals have to go through. Um, It would reduce the amount of time, maximum amount of time between court reviews, also would allow people to, you know, name their own attorney, conservatees to name their own attorney. There has been a criticism that these bills are too focused on finances and that the overhauls need to be in the actual courtroom, uh, you know, with the judges and the commissioners and the court-appointed attorneys who've created policies around this um, procedure. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, um, I think that these bills are brand new, so we, we can expect to see a lot of amendments. And there are a lot of issues in the bills that I think need some um, um more scrutiny. Um, I think in terms, though, of the um, procedures in the courtroom and the court-appointed attorneys, uh, I'm of the view that if the law was followed with more detail and more certainty, then then we would be in, in pretty good shape. Um, the problem is, is I think there's a tendency, um, and it's human nature maybe, to become complacent uh, and uh, and not look at each case individually, which is, of course, the only case that the conservatee has, but it may be one of a thousand before the judge or the, the, the attorneys involved. So I think that's really the challenge is to really look at each case uh, with strict scrutiny individually to make sure that, again, there are no other alternatives but for the conservatorship, and then also to tailor the powers to that individual. We're talking about conservatorship under California law with Melissa Brown, professor of law at the University of the Pacific's McGeorge School of Law, and also Anne Hedaris, attorney with the Disability Rights uh, California. If you have an experience with the conservator system, we want to hear your thoughts and questions. You can give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We have a caller, Deborah from Santa Rosa. Go ahead. Yes, I would love to talk with Ms. Brown because there's widespread fraud going on. I've been involved in many of these cases. What happens in the community is they typically use a social worker to go in, break up a family um, in Marin County and elsewhere. These individuals have gone to court, and I have the records. Um, They appear in court, not thinking that anything could happen, but the court-appointed attorneys don't show up. The 
judges proceed anyway. They um, they immediately move the seniors' rights. They target seniors, uh, wealthy seniors. In Belmar and Keys, if you check the records, although they try not to keep them, uh, seven seniors were conserved against their will in uh, a two-year period. And um, the court-appointed attorneys don't show, and her attorney, in her 30 years, in doing so with hundreds of wards, has never contested even one conservatorship, exclamation point. I'm to talk with Ms. Brown about this. When uh, I- uh, Deborah, thank you so much for your call. Um, uh, I, I Real quickly, uh, Melissa Brown... Is there a problem with people who uh, don't necessarily want to be under conservatorship being placed under uh, that that status? Well, well, sure, there is a problem. I don't think most people uh, would want to have their uh, rights um, curtailed or told where they can live or removed from their, from their home and put in a board and care home, for example, or other type of facility. Um, and what you know is being described is 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 outrageous um and so it it calls for some again stricter scrutiny both with the process that apparently is maybe going on in marin county um but i don't think most people uh if they have awareness you know want to be under a conservatorship i want to bring um ann hadreas into the conversation she's an attorney with the disability rights california and Conservatorships are a big issue in the disability rights community. Um, talk a little bit about how they're used. And I understand you you feel like people with disabilities often are overlooked, are not listened to when it comes to this issue. Absolutely. And good morning. You know, just to follow up on the last caller, or the last question, you know, conservatorships are inherently involuntary. So they are against someone's will, which is why they should be the last resort because of the incredible power that conservators have over a person's bodily autonomy um, to the ability to place someone in a locked facility, to give them medications, to, to stop them from driving a car or voting. These are all things that happen under conservatorship and one of the questions earlier was how, how big is this? This is thousands of people in the state of California. And so for this you know, incredibly restrictive um, liberty taking process, you know, there really needs to be all the safeguards possible. And in particular, listening to people with disabilities who have the knowledge of being on these conservatorships and seeing how it plays through. You know, one of the things the California State Auditor came out with a report on the mental health conservatorship system last year. And one of their findings was that counties and the state are not ensuring that people are getting the right kind of care. And that's something that people with disabilities could have absolutely could have and would have said was true from the beginning. Right. So you're saying there's a lot of work to get someone into a conservatorship, but after they're there, the kind of like the oversight and the state and the requirements kind of go away. Yes, it's it can be very difficult for people on conservatorships to 
to challenge not just the conservatorship, but restrictions within the conservatorship. Um, although, you know, they do have rights, due process rights, as we've been talking about, it can be very difficult for the individual to uh, contest problems within their conservatorship, especially if, as they've been found to, you know, lack the ability to contract and to make decisions. And so they're taken out of the equation, even though they're the person who is most affected by these determinations. And I wonder if you are familiar with the Senate, with these assembly, Senate and assembly bills being proposed in the legislature to reform um, conservatorship in the state and, you know, what your take on them is. I'm, I'm aware of them and I, in terms of looking for greater oversight, and I think we would always support that, um, that there is, you know, less there should be more checks on the system. Um, But I would say that one of the most important pieces is going back to ensuring that there is, that people really are in the less restrictive environment. You know, that is, you know, codified in both state and federal, that's through both our state and federal laws, but that is not what we necessarily see. We see people getting stuck in institutions or, and because they're stuck in institutions, other people get stuck in other places who might go there. And so really ensuring as part of the oversight process that people are getting into the treatment that they need and that there is options for people to step down, um, get go to less restrictive services because people do sometimes get stuck from these many years. You know, San Francisco um, had a report last year more 60% of their mental health conservatorships had been on for more than five years and more than a third had been on for more than 10 years. So these are ideally you should, people should be working towards um, a more integrated community setting, which is unfortunately not where many people on conservatorships end up. We've gotten a couple comments from our listeners. Curtis writes, there's a long history of men using the law to take resources away from women. Is there a gender bias in this law? Uh, John writes, I worry about elderly people being preyed upon by greedy and unethical conservators. I read about a predatory conservator who conspired with a corrupt judge to target the estates of the elderly in Nevada, even going so far as to exclude their children from being able to visit them in Senior facilities. Um, I also want to get to a caller, uh, Brooke. Brooke, go ahead. Yeah, uh, you know, I have uh, a horror story, pretty much. Um, so my my partner of seven years after we had our child uh, had undiagnosed bipolar disorder, and um, you know, around when he was two years old, it just got really bad. Um, essentially, she needed uh, help, and uh, the issue here, you know, to to put the background on it, is that. We were well off, you know, um, and we had we had money. So in this facility, uh, you know, I was just kind of rearing, trying to raise my two-year-old child without my partner there anymore because uh, he, he was unsafe to be around her. And so she was in a facility doing well. Money was being spent on it. But the conservator um, that her parents convinced me to get for her, uh, you know, so I could just raise my child and focus on that. Um, stopped 
putting, you know, spending the money, say then that she was spending too much money on this recovery, which is just insane if you think about it, because it was helping. It's her money. It should, even if it was all spent and she was well off, that would have been better than where she's at now. Where she's at now is we have a situation where he's, uh, you know, alienated uh, her from the family. Uh, you know, she would do things like lose a cell phone every month. And, and then he said that was enough. Wasn't going to buy her a cell phone anymore. So then we couldn't call her. Then with her social worker, uh, the social worker all of a sudden said that I couldn't come around any longer to check on her. You know, and she's living in a, 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 a not assisted living place anymore, but she's living in, I can't remember what it's called, it's on 4th Street in San Francisco. It's just horrible. Drugs everywhere. And she's not getting any better and, you know, the conservator has sold off our property uh, that was in her name. You know, unfortunately, I had a power of attorney, uh, you know, some background. We didn't really believe in marriage, but yet we were partners. So, you know, uh, my power of attorney, after all said and done, I fought in court. I think we just um, uh, lost Brooke, but Melissa, just responding to his story a little bit. I mean, that sounds like a nightmare. And a lot of these stories and comments we've been seeing have been negative. You know, does conservatorship work? I mean, it must work for somebody, right, to have it be in play uh, a thing in the first place. Well, it, it does work uh, for many people, but obviously it's not working in that that case. Um and uh, he, because they weren't married, he wouldn't necessarily uh, be on the same uh, list of uh, folks who have priority in terms of notification and so forth. Um, so, you know, that is clearly an, an abuse of the conservatorship and a, an example of, of the, the checks and balances completely um, falling apart. Um, you know, he would have a remedy to file, you know, a competing petition. Uh, but, you know, it's an expensive process, and most uh, uh, folks find that they, they do need the assistance of an attorney to help wade through the process, although it's, it's not because of the paperwork and the complications, um, but it, you know, he would have some remedies, but again, accessing the legal system on his own, and again, he would then become the moving party and have the burden of proof. Uh, and it's and just, curious that her parents wouldn't uh, aren't more involved as well because they um, legally would have um, more standing, unfortunately, than uh, an, an unmarried uh, partner or someone who's not a registered domestic partner. And I think we should be clear as well that there are two different kinds of conservatorship. One that places somebody in charge of someone's like you know physical care and then another in charge of their financial care. Like in Britney Spears's case, her father was in charge of both of those situations. Am I getting that correct? Well, there, there are actually about four different kinds in California, but in the, the, the conservatorship that um, with Britney Spears, it's a conservatorship of the person and conservatorship of the estate. Okay. And, and you had brought up an interesting idea that it shouldn't be all or nothing, that perhaps maybe there should be a mid-level between not having anyone watch over you and full conservative conservatorship. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I, I think that, um, you know, there there is would be a conservatorship, but again, the powers can be limited. So, for example, 
Um, we wouldn't want uh, a conservator to have complete authority to move someone into an institution, you know, right? So, or or uh, or um, move someone out of their home. We we do want to retain oversight for that. That said, however, there'd be, I don't think anything in the current law that would uh, preclude a conservator from um, being required to provide a specific allowance for someone. So in the Britney Spears case, um, you know, again, it's up to the discretion of the conservator, but, you know, the court certainly could say, well, one bank account shall be, you know, ordered to be available to the, the individual for their, um, their access and personal use. Um, similarly with the person, um, you know, there could be, uh, the, the person could um, decide where they're going to live. Um, so I, I think that, that this all or nothing um, view uh, without, um, again, tailoring for the least restrictive alternative that Anne uh, nicely supported as well is really a failing of the system. We've been talking about conservatorship in California. Thanks to Tess Barker, co-host of the podcast, Brittany's Graham, Anne Hedreas, attorney with Disability Rights California, and University of the Pacific Law professor, Melissa Brown. Next up, we'll talk about why we've made so little progress closing the gender pay gap and what can be done to change it. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.